Hallelujah, the Bear Bula is here. <laughs> so before we start talking, do you mind if I like play some of your song, your your single, Don't Call Me Mara? Would that be okay? Oh, sure. I, I, I call it Yahuwah's Testimony. Yahuwah's Testimony. <laughs> yes. Okay, so I'm going to play, play a minute of it or so, and then we can start talking. Will that work? That'll work. Hallelujah. Here we go. Don't Call Me Mara. You know the Most High has called us to be healed, to be delivered, to be set free. And out of everything we've heard and talked about, there's one thing we didn't talk about. We didn't talk about grief. And he comes to deliver us from our grief. Don't call me Mara. testimony and for those who have not heard don't call me mara yet please check it out all right i think it's on youtube spotify um spotify itunes itunes is everywhere so please check out this this powerful testimony so welcome again and um i have a few questions for you and so this is my first one um, um you mentioned that in the beginning of your song, that grief is something that is not talked about often. And, and that's pretty, it's, it's taboo, if you would say. So I want to ask you, why do you believe that it's important to have a discussion on grief? And 
what is the impact of being ill-prepared to handle this topic? Well, first I want to an answer the impact part with just a phrase. Okay. It's, self it's self-imposed traumatization. Mm. Uh, we impose trauma on ourselves when we are not prepared. And uh, unfortunately for us in the Hebraic community, we a lot of times we don't have finances. Uh, a lot of times we don't think about it. We, we are so busy focusing on living to today. We don't think about tomorrow. We don't think about in the event. A lot of times we don't talk about it because it's just hard to accept. But life and death are together. It's just life is a death is a part of life. You can't uh -huh. separate the two. So uh -huh. therefore being prepared uh, for that and having those conversations is absolutely necessary. Uh, absolutely. And then what are the um, impacts of being overprepared in your opinion? Uh, the impacts, first of all, we're going to start off with the main one is after your deceased, is, your, uh, your loved one is gone, is deceased, it's the finances. Uh, mm. How are you going to pay for a funeral? Are you already planned for a funeral? Are you, how, have you ever thought about it? Have you ever had that conversation? You know, with that, with your spouse or, or just a family member about finances. Uh, did you have a funeral been planned for it? Because if not, then it automatically put you, the survivor, in a financial disadvantage. And if you already having a, a to struggle financially, this makes it even more difficult. So uh, having other resources and other avenues to take care of our family members when they're passed away is vitally important. Uh, uh, during the process, I've learned some things that in the state of Texas uh, that we could do to cut cost is one. Um, well, most of us know that we, you can go and buy a, a casket from wholesale places, which you can. But I don't know whether most people know you can have in Texas, you can have your casket made. So uh, that's interesting. I, I remember you, was, you mentioned some alternative approaches to financing um, loss, right? Right. You said that one reason why many of us don't talk about uh, grief or even, you know, funerals or death is because of the fact that we can't afford it. Exactly. And so you mentioned some um, alternative approaches. So do you mind kind of like elaborating, just sharing some of your um, some suggestions and things that you um, believe can help us in beginning to fund death? <laughs> well, one, uh, just started to have the conversation. And uh -huh. understanding that this is going to happen. Because once you start talking about something, you believe what you talk about. You believe what you say. So mm -hmm. therefore, then just having that conversation initially, and I don't mean one time and then five years later you discuss it if, the, if we're still out here. I mean, uh -huh. that should be an active conversation once a year or whatever. whatever. But when you are looking at finances, uh, like, I was, uh, like I was mentioning, in the state of Texas, you can have a casket made. It, uh, all you have to do is buy the wood, buy the materials, and and the casket can be made for you. Um, it's, you said under the under the safety and what was it, the name of the law? It's the Texas law. It's the under health the and safety, health safety code. code. Yes, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. seven eleven and seven fourteen. Uh, that's for the state of Texas, mm -hmm. and it does say it's a federal uh, law that funeral homes have to take your casket, whether it's handmade or store bought. They have to take it. And uh, really all a person has to do is uh, find the specifications. And they have books. They have different things that's online, uh, free information on how to make a casket and what are specifications. You may have to vary from different states 
but for the most part, it's that's a that's a, like a bottom line thing that, that's pretty common. Con. And I know that it said that I read that um, caskets is one of the greatest expenses when it comes to funeral planning. Right? Exactly, it is more right thirty k or so. Well, it depends. It can start from two thousand up. Mm -hmm. uh, the different gauges of caskets. Um, uh, a lot of times people think, well, I want to get a, a really good casket, but if you get if you're buying one, you can do a, a eighteen gauge casket, and it'll work. It, it it'll work. It'll last for years. And we have to remember, we, we want to put our family members away and, and do it respectfully and everything. But remember, they're going in the ground. We're not going to see them again. Huh. So therefore, then, we don't have to stress out uh, so much about the casket and everything. Because why? They're, they're going to be in the ground. And I say that respectfully because I, I, I buried my husband. Huh. And, I under, and, I understand, and I understand that. So uh, generally, an 18-gauge casket or, like I said, it was a self-made one. Uh, will work perfectly and also uh people can look into uh called natural burials oh, you don't need that? a, you don't need a casket burial? you don't need a casket you can just wrap your loved one put them in a vault without a casket or you can have them uh placed and that's in this covered in some states cover that where you don't even need a casket at all but wow. we don't know that and because of pain and anguish of losing a loved one we don't we can't think that process out Con. Now, you also mentioned embalming, and you're saying that that's a, an expense that we can also maybe cut. You want to kind of elaborate on that a little bit and just talk about just the cost of embalming? And Well, in the state of Texas, embalming starts at about $1,500. Mm -hmm. And if you're not showing your loved one, which, which according to our customs and Torah, we don't view our loved ones like that, we don't touch them like that, there's no need to embalm them. All they have to do is just be prepared, refrigerated, and tell time for burial. They don't. There's no need to pay that money uh, for that because it's not a service you're going to be using. Huh. And you mentioned also when it comes to like touching the body. I know there's um, Torah that tells us not to do that. And you were saying that health-wise, it's not the best to touch the body. You want to kind of elaborate on the reasons for that as well? Uh, yeah, you can get hype. You can get um, hepatitis. You can get a uh, different type of uh, diseases from touching a, de a deceased body. You can get diseases. They actually transfer, even though, you know, we look at them, we think they're gone and everything, but but it's still bacteria and things on that body that could be mm -hmm. transferred to you, a living person that can make you sick. So uh, if the Most High said don't touch or or we unclean is for a reason, you know, because you are unclean because there's a lot of things that transfer from, from that body, from a, a deceased body to a living body. Con, con. And then this is the last thing I want to ask you, just to see your your um, your take on this. But I know for my for my family, one thing that we do is we collect a, a monthly fee um, from each uh, head of household. And what we do is the reason why we're doing this is because it helps us to kind of be our own insurance company, mm -hmm. where in the event of like loss or a passing, we already have like a um, our family bank or our family funds that we can draw from to mm -hmm. assist. Because many of us, don't, you know, are living paycheck to paycheck. Many of us um, are trying to, you know, the economy is crazy right now with the rising prices and inflation. And so this is something that we use to help us as a family. Is that something you recommend Is if for those who cannot just readily put the money aside for funeral costs, maybe come together with other relatives that they can trust and begin to save collectively? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I totally agree. 
anything that you can do to cut costs, save costs, and save save the stress of going through the the whole ordeal of taking care of a loved one in that situation. I suggest that. I also suggest that uh, get a burial po uh, policy. Uh, you can go and talk to some funeral homes, sell them. They call prearrangements. You go mm -hmm. and make your plans. Uh, try to be realistically and financially uh, realistically as possible. Make those plans, and then you can pay on it every month until it's paid out. And then that way, then they know what you're gonna, what you want for your funeral, what you know the price, what your price. You're gonna know what your funeral costs before you walk out the door because you've already made your plans. And that's like to me, that's a good uh, idea to do that. So then that way, it's already arranged. Your family already know what you want done, and it's already being paid for. Uh, in the event that it's cut shorter than you know the person passed before it's completely paid off, you still invested. You still have the plans and the person can just go in and finish it up. Then it also, in the midst of grieving, it doesn't cost you to spend more money than what need to be. Calm. Because when, we, when we're grieving, we want to do this and do that. And that will save that cost of spending extra when you didn't have to do that. Calm. Because it's, it's trauma, right? Grief is trauma. Yes. And so yeah. your thoughts are racing, your mind is racing, and you'll make those quick decisions and it may, be, it may cost you in the long run. It, it, it will. Because funerals are expensive. Yeah, it will. Kind. Yes. Anything else you want to share on this first question before we move on to the next one? I, um, is there anything I missed that you wanted to maybe cover in regards to the importance of preparation? Uh, the biggest thing I just want to emphasize is talking to your loved one. Mm -hmm. Having those conversations are absolutely vitally important. Because when, when you talk about it, when, in the event that that happens, you already have a mindset. You already know we've talked about this, we've talked about that, or even write it down. Or like I said, going back to having those funeral plans, all that helps with dealing with the grief of a loss. That makes a big difference when you've had those conversations. So I would say just at least start with the conversations at least. You know, you don't let it go by and don't don't let it be so the conversations so far in between each other. Let them be close enough together. It sounds morbid. But we could go at any moment. Yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow's not promised. Your next it's month not is not promised to you. Um, so researching is important, too, because, I, you know, just talking to you, uh, I realized, oh, my gosh, I don't know what expenses, how much a funeral costs. I have no idea in my head how much it costs, you know, but talking to you is like, told me the importance of researching it, having a working idea of how much it costs, trying to put money towards it, trying to figure out ways to raise money for it as best I can to put aside for that. Yes, particularly if you're planning your own, because uh, like we already mentioned, when you go in and make that plan, they give you the price. Or they want to ask you, do you want to be embalmed? They'll ask you, do you want flowers? They'll ask you, do you want a funeral uh, services? You don't have to have funeral services. A person can be put in a casket and then transferred to the cemetery and, and, and placed there without having a big funeral because they charge for funerals. Mm. Yeah, that's a charge. And a lot of people don't know that. It doesn't. It's not just because you went and bought a casket and everything that that comes with. They charge for a funeral, so therefore, when you're making your plans, you know where you, you know what you're spending and what is going on, and you can make that choice ahead of time. So your family member is not financially strapped, uh, uh, not grieved over over the finances and everything because it's already been put in place. It's already planned. And you said that that can actually exacerbate symptoms of grief, right? Oh yes, ma'am. Um, yes, ma'am. Because now you're thinking about money. Not in, and on top of that, you're paying for a funeral, but then you got to eat. Because, see, when your loved one leaves, 
you got a you got a house note, car note, you know, and, and the debtor, the creditors, they don't they don't care. You know, so that exacerbates it, it makes it harder for a person. Come exactly. Oh, okay. Thank you for that. And if you have any additional questions about that, please put it in the comment section. We'll we we'll, will do the best you can to get to it. How yeah. All right, so next question is the song Don't Call Me Mara, right? So my mm -hmm. question is, who is Mara? I know you got the breakdown for Mara, who she is, um, what it means. And also, too, um, uh, who do you prefer to be called instead in the place of Mara? So go for it. Um, Mara is who I would have been if I had not uh, let the Most High start working in my life. Um, Mara is the Hebrew word for bitter. Um, and that's what I would have been because of the pain. That was, it was very hard for me. But I sing the song, Don't Call Me Mara. That's the testimony that the Most High has given me is don't call me Mara because why he has delivered me from the pain, of the, from the grief of that, from the trauma of that. Am I still working it out? Sure, I sure am. But the initial pain, the initial grief that could have totally turned my life another whole direction, it's not there. Because why? The bitterness is not there. The hurt is not there like it was. And I'm gratefully appreciative. That's why I say, don't call me Mara. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter over the uh, over Yahuwah's decision for my life. I'm not bitter over that. Hallelujah. So um, what does the um, Mara mean in Hebrew? What is the breakdown of the word Mara? And then you can let us know where it comes from in the scripts. Okay. Just one moment. <laughs> I, 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 why are you doing that? Why are you getting that together? I, I remember you mentioned that um, it means like bitterness and the reference um, was from Naomi. Yes. Khan. Okay. You ready? I'm Go sorry. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> so Mara, uh, the, the olive bed is uh, Mem, Resh, and uh. Mem, Resh, I think about it, and Aleph. So it means, uh, Mem, you know, it means liquid, massive chaos. Resh is a person head or the highest, and the Aleph is a strength, a leader, or the first. So my understanding of that is that uh, it's chaos, utter chaos, utter chaos on the head of the leader. So Naomi was the head of her house at this time. And when Everything was gone. She was in chaos. Her life was in confusion. Wow. And she, and that was a, you mentioned that the Mara is like a grief mantle that oftentimes we put on. Like Naomi put the mantle of Mara on her. She um, did. She, she said, she she did. said, call me Mara, right? Yeah. She said, she declared that, call me, don't call me Naomi. And they only mean pleasant. Mm. So she went from pleasant to being bitter. Oof. And the more the more I studied it, the more I realized that uh, Naomi's bitterness was was a bitterness of gall. Mm. So her bitterness was was towards Yahuwah. Wow. And in her bitterness, we find that she wound up, you said, pushing away her salvation. <laughs> yes, exactly. She, uh, Naomi, 
had what she needed in front of her. Uh, Ruth was there, and Ruth means friend. So uh, Ruth, Ruth was there with her as a friend. Ruth mm -hmm. was her savior for that situation. Uh, she's a Moabite. She's a Moabite. She's a Moabite that the Most High had in her life, but the Most High used Ruth to help deliver Naomi, uh, and she was basically trying to push her away because in her pain and her stress, she could not recognize that help was right there for her. Uh, she couldn't. And that's how we are. We we're in stress. We in grief. We in whatever we're in, and we don't we don't see that the help is right there. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of times we think that the Most High has left us, but He hasn't left us. Our help is there, but because of our eyesight being blind by grief or whatever's happening to us, we fail to see our salvation. You know how the Scripture says, um, "Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted." Mm -hmm. you believe that the comfort can come in the form of our salvation, our help that is right there. Yes. At this moment of our okay, at the moment of our yes, dream. yes, I do. And the, you know, Yahuwah is is gracious and he's merciful. He know what we need in the time we need it, and he know the people that we need around us at that time. And so, therefore, Ruth was the person that Naomi needed. That was who she needed. Now, Oprah, the other daughter-in-law, she left. <laughs> Her name means. I yeah, you're going to break it down? You're going to break it okay, down? Go for it. I'm excited. I have the breakdown of her name. <laughs> well, I'm just going to say what it means. Her name means, um, where did I get it from? I'm sorry, just one moment. Uh, Take your time. Take your time. When you when she breaks down the name, it's going to make sense why um, her other daughter-in-law chose to leave and opposed to stay and why Ruth stayed. So it's actually pretty interesting. Yes, yeah, so uh, Oprah, uh, well, it's, it's Orpah, Orpa. and it's from Hebrew 6204, and it means the nape or back of the neck. Mm. It means to decline. It means stiff neck. So Oprah was stiff neck. Mm. <laughs> That's why she didn't stay. She was stiff neck. Huh. And we know, we know name means nature. So therefore, her nature was she was not going to stay there. She was going to leave because because actually she could have gone along with Ruth and Naomi, and she could have possibly remarried. You see what I'm saying? Come. But that was not the that was not the case. She wanted to go back with her family, and that's her name. And uh, so that was her name. Con. And also too, you mentioned um, the name of her husband. Yes. Nah, I did my own writing. It was Kilion. That was Oprah's husband named Kilion. His name meant destruction. I thought that was something. His name meant destruction. It means consumption. His name means failing. So you Ooh. have you have stiff neck and destruction together. Huh. Well, nothing was gonna come out of that. Mm. And she she was married to destruction. Right. Wow. Right. She was married to it. But Ruth so was a friend. Yes. Yeah, so she went back. So Ruth was a friend. Ruth was that compassionate daughter-in-law, that friend. Well, I, to me, she was more than a daughter-in-law. She was a friend. Huh. She was a companion. She loved Naomi. So she took on that responsibility. I'm, I'm going to go with you. I'm, I'm not going to leave you. And, and I think the powerful thing that I thought about in this situation is as broken as Naomi had to have been. Prior to that, Ruth had to have seen enough of Yahuwah Ooh. in Naomi's life 
to uh, say, I'm going to follow you. That's beautiful. In, in her broke state, I, I'm going to follow you because it's like, I, that's a testimony to Naomi, even though she was broken, even though she said, don't call me Mara. That's a testimony that when she was faithful to Yahuwah, it's just that her situation had got her in a place that she couldn't get out of. Mm. Without help, she needed redemption. Come. But but Ruth saw enough in her to say, you know, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna go with you. Your I'm gonna, leave. Gonna, I'm gonna leave everything. Right. To follow you. My Lord, your Lord is my Lord. Your people are my people. When you die, I'll die. That's a that's a flat out commitment. Come. To be a person. She didn't know. She didn't know that she would get married again. She didn't know if no what would happen. She just like, I'm no. going with you. And that's how and it's think, we don't know. We, the things we give up, we don't know if we'll get it back again. We just say, like, I'm going with you because this is the best life for me. Right. And the thing about it is that when we look at Naomi being the widow, we forget that Ruth was the widow also. We do. We forget that Ruth was the widow. So therefore, then you have two widows that uh, have made a, basically she's made a covenant with Naomi. I'm going where you go. Mm. I'm going to be with you. She's made a covenant. And the powerful thing is that she went, her, her love for Yahuwah because she saw Yahuwah in her to follow her in the love for Naomi is what caused her to go, what made her stick to and cleave to her, you know, and love her because of that, because of Yahuwah's love. She had to have seen something in Naomi's life. Hell she yeah. had to. Now, if you don't mind, you notice, you notice some parallels between yourself and Naomi, correct? Which is in your correct. You mind sharing yeah. a few, if you don't mind, if that's okay? Okay, so uh, Naomi, husband and two sons passed and my mother no my husband and my two mothers passed in a six-month time wow. uh prior to that my only my only biological grandchild passed in uh, 2018 mm. and that was uh that was a trauma because that was like losing my own my own child from me that was my grandchild it was and uh i was so it hurt me so bad i couldn't even talk I mean, I couldn't cry. That was the biggest thing. I have never cried for my grandson. I was so hurt I couldn't cry. It's like something inside me froze. But remember you said it showed up another way. How did it show up for you? My body suffered from it. Huh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're back. Yeah, we're back. We're here. So you said your body, your body used to suffer from the from it. Uh -huh. So that's the thing with grief. Too. Sometimes, sometimes with grief, it doesn't always come in the way that we we, we expect through the crying, through the. But sometimes it can show up through like somatic features, as far as like you know physically rashes and things. So what was your experience like for you? For you, how do you grieve through the body? I time? had a flare up. I had a I had a flare up in all of my joints and everything. And uh, I was I was like that for like five months. Mm. Yeah, a lot of pain, a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. okay. So you you mentioned that just like Ruth, I mean Naomi had like chronic loss right back to back to back. You yeah. also experienced that in the, like in the short time frame of that constant loss, that frequent loss. Also, too, Ruth was we don't know the the duration of time, but we know that Naomi was married for a long time because. Her son, her children were grown. Mm -hmm. She was older as well, and her husband passed. You know, around that time. So we know that she, she was married for some t some years. And yourself, you were married for how many years? Uh, we were married over forty years. Over forty years. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. there's another connection there as far as the, you know, being married for a long time and having to separate. That I think, uh, okay, so speaking from my life, I've lost my mother's two mothers, one biological and one like a, like a surrogate mother. You know, she was from there from me being a baby. She died two days after my spouse died. After my ish died, she died. Wow. So I couldn't even wrap that around my head. He was gone and she was gone. And I had, I had just checked on her, I think, a couple of weeks prior to that mm-hmm. because she was with, uh, with uh, one of her grandchildren. And uh, I checked and it was like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even talk about it because I was, I was, I was hit back to back. Huh. And uh, my husband's passing was so painful, if you don't mind me talking about it. It was so painful. Um, all I could do was just bellow. All I could do was just cry. Huh. And uh, that if I had not cried, the pain of it, I would have died from it. Mm. I, that's how painful it was. Huh. And people can die from pain, from physical pain, they can. And in the body, in the mind, the brain registers physical pain and emotional pain the same. So therefore, uh, going through the pain of his loss was just like if my body was in pain also. And that's, uh, it, it was a lot. And I thank the most high because he's really, he's done something for me because there's no way I would have made it through that. I, I wouldn't have. Another thing about uh, Naomi and Ruth is that uh, Ruth uh, was with Naomi and she, uh, she took care of her. They went, to, uh, they went back to Bethlehem, Judah. But the thing about it is that uh, she w- she went, but in my case, what's parallel to that is that I went to be with our Mushal here in HRT, my Mushal Kowal, him and Amaya, uh, Mushala Kalaya. I went to their home. It's like when my husband passed, they were there with me. Like, like Ruth was there with Naomi. They were mm-hmm. there with me. And I went from the hospital. They just took me home. And they said, you got to you got to be here. And I didn't fight that. And the beautiful thing about it all is that at that time, he was not just my mushal. He was a son. She was a daughter. And that was so powerful because I got to I have experienced my mushal both ways as a mushal and as a son. Mm. And I respect both because Uh that love that they poured into me. I'm alive today because they poured. How beautiful is that? They poured their love. They poured their life into me. They kept me alive because I would have died. I would have surely died. The most high let me know you would have died. I couldn't go back home. I had to stay with them. You know, I went to do do some things and take care of things, but to to initially live, I had to live with them. And the children were uh, uh, a healthy distraction for the time. I needed those distractions because that was not, in a place to deal with the grief at the time. It was, uh, I was on life support. It was like keeping me alive in order for me to function after, after the fact, after I, after I recover from not dying, then I can recover from the grief of everything, if I'm making sense. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And you, you mentioned that with the, the children, you say it was like getting a chance to be a grandmother again. Yeah. You said that yeah. you lost your only, only grandchild and so having them, having them ask you to make them breakfast in the morning and checking yeah, on we you. Yeah, we were in the kitchen making pancakes and waffles. And 
different things and that that really helped me uh that really really helped me it was it, it helped me to get like i said to where i could actually deal with the pain of it all oh yeah deal with the pain of it all so the difference between yourself and naomi was that whereas naomi tried to push that away you didn't push away the salvation no, um, that came through our leadership, but you ex readily accepted. Um, yes, their help and hallelujah. I did, so, I did because that the most high, you know, the most high, he set you up, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and he had me in a situation where I didn't have a choice, come. but then I did have a choice, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, uh, it's like, well, no, I can go to my house and blah blah blah, I could be at my house, my own house, because I had my own house, but it was like. This is your circumstance and your situation. What are you going to do with it? Huh. And you, so you, mentioned, you mentioned widow's grief. You mentioned that widow's grief is actually something that's real and that can um, can kill you, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, well, it's widow's grief, and then they have another one that's called the broke, broken heart syndrome. Huh. And uh, my, my thing I was dealing with was the broken heart because huh. even when I was – when I was when I was praying to Yahuwah, I was telling him my heart is broken, it's broken. I am in pain, and uh, and it it feels it's, it's like a tearing. And and actually, uh, medically they've shown where the by uh the heart in the in your body actually takes on the form of being torn, uh, from a broken heart. And so this is a real your body actually takes on that, you know. And so therefore that's what that's what I was starting to take on just. From being hurt so bad, but the most high, he came in and he's he's done a, he's done an amazing he's done an amazing work. I'm, I'm really because to to lose my spouse, yeah, uh, that was <laughs> my soulmate. That was a that was a big thing. Come, yeah. Come. Now, Beulah Yashran, you want us to call you Beulah Yashran? So tell us um, a little bit about um, the function of Beulah and. Just the, you know, how you came across, okay. how, you know, what happened? Let me, let me pull out my notes. <laughs> Take your time. No. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to give the breakdown of my name. So, okay. Beulah, it's the uh, Bet, it's the Ein, it's the Ba, and it's the Lamet, it's the Hay. Uh, we know that the uh, Bet is the house or the tent or the family. The Ein is a... Uh, uh, the uh, seeing through the window of knowledge. The va is uh, to add or to secure. The lament is the shepherd's staff. And the hay is to uh, reveal and behold and reveal. So the understanding of me and my name is the house that has this eye secured to the shepherd's staff to behold and reveal it. And how it works in this function is like this, this podcast today. The most high has my eye has been focused on him in my situation of pain in these circumstances. And with this, I've learned to understand how to be healed from grief. He has not given me anything to cope. Everything that he's given me is to be healed by. And because he's revealed that to me, I'm now sharing it. And I want to share it to everyone who I know that you don't have to cope with grief. You can be healed from grief. Come on. You can be healed. Yahushua did not come and go to the stake and do all that for us to cope with anything. Come. It's supposed to our complete healing. And we have to take hold of that and walk in that truth. When he said that he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. He took that grief. He took it to the stake. 
And we have to believe that. And one of the things that I, I didn't mention uh, with the Most High Healing, he came to me in prayer and let me know I died for that. Mm. Let it go. Oof. I died for that. Don't let my dying be in vain. I died. I took it to the. He's, it came to me. I took it to the stake. I took it to death and hell. And yeah. when I rose, I left. I left grief there. I didn't rise with grief. He didn't come up with grief. So he he's he's done that for us. So we don't have to stay in grief. We don't have to go in when I'm coping. Huh. You you she was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Mm -hmm. He wasn't bitter. And you mentioned that nope. being acquainted means you are you're aware of it, you're knowledgeable mm -hmm. of it, you're prepared for it, right? But you're mm -hmm. not necessarily overtaken by it, right. right? You're not married to it. Right. Huh. That that's that's what happened to us. We get married. We we take on a, a covenant with grief. And some people say, Well, I'm just, you know. I'm just going to be this way or whatever, but we don't have to be that way. The most high didn't bring us and give us these situations in our life to, uh, to stay anyway. It was, to, it was to be a testimony of his, of his saving power, of his power to deliver his power to set free his power to heal. So we should be a testimony to his power to work and move in our life, to deliver us from anything in our life, whether it's pain or grief, whatever it is, he's done it. Come Huh. And then I remember um, you said the Most High first gave you the name Beulah in February of 2022. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he said at the time, he just kind of was preparing you for the name change, right? But yeah. then it was Sukkot um, 2022 where he confirmed it and he said, Beulah, come forth. Want to talk about he did. Yeah, well, back in February 2022, I was praying one day and it came to me, your name is, you have a new name, your name is Beulah. And I thought, oh, cause I know what Beulah means. I was like, oh, but I heard clearly, you're not ready for that. You're not mm -hmm. ready to be called Beulah. You're not ready to walk in Beulah. Come. And so I took that and put that on my shelf and left it there. And uh, it wasn't until uh, Suco 2022, I was down praying and I heard Beulah come forth. And uh, I thought, well, Abba, uh, I can't come forth without a confirmation. <laughs> but he confirmed everything. And now I'm walking in Beulah. And it's wow. been confirmed. It's been confirmed that that is my name. And, that I, and the function of it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm functioning in that name of seeing his revelation of what he's given to me to share. And, uh, and, I, and I thank him for that. Huh. I think it's powerful. I don't know why, but just while you were talking just now, I kind of imagine, you know how when someone um, gets married, how they take on the name of the spouse. And so mm -hmm. the name that grief wants you to take on is Mara. Yes. Um, grief wants to give you its name, Mara. And so you can either choose to accept the mantle of Mara and the, the covenant with grief, or in this case, Yahushua had the name Beulah. He like, take on this name. I want you to take on my name. And you chose to take on the name of Yahushua and become enter a covenant with him, a marriage. Right. With right. Him. Right. Beautiful. That's correct. It's it's uh it's it's just so amazing. I, I had no idea when he said I wasn't ready, I didn't know what that meant. I just believed what he said, I'm not ready. And so I knew that because he had given me the name 
it to be revealed that sometime he was going to get me ready. Uh, and and he did. He he did. This is my last question in regards to Beulah. Um, how does Beulah connect to the, the function function of like grief healing and grief recovering? How do you how does that um, those two uh, connect, if I may ask? Or does it? Well, I can I can somewhat answer that. Being willing to learn as I as I heal from grief. I learn. Mm -hmm. The most I teach me something. When I when a when a feeling or thought come, I don't hold on to it. I deal with it. I've used the tools he's given me to deal with it. And when I when I do, he gives me something. He he teaches me something. And then I'm able to take that and share that with someone else. The song uh, Don't Call Me Mara was strictly Ruaco. You know, he told me, uh, I want you to put out a song. I went, Oh. Then the next thing I know, the music is there. Next thing I know, all the words came up. I didn't write that. It just came out in the Ruach. And so uh, that's part of that functioning in that with the uh, with working with grief, because he put that testimony in me that don't call me Mara. He put that in me to rejoice. He put that in me that he's he's taken my grief. He put that in me. And so I'm testifying to what he's put down in me. Come, come. And you're, you're uh, Beulah's the eye that's secured to the shepherd's staff. Mm-hmm, the house with the eye that's secured to the shepherd's staff to behold it and reveal it. And I've been beholding a lot of things about grief and how to be healed. And I'm sharing it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. So next question. You did mention just now um, the theme of the song, right? You mentioned how the most I gave it to you. And mm-hmm. one of the takeaways from the song that I got from it was to rejoice. Um, and so I, I wanted to ask you, um, what role or what roles does um, rejoice and play and grief healing? And a second part is what does rejoicing look like while grieving? Is it the traditional, we're still happy, we're smiling, we're still running laps, we're still raising our hands. And so just kind of share rejoicing if you don't mind and kind of get us a deeper understanding of that. Okay, so if I may, I will share from my personal experience. When my husband passed, I had to give him thanks right then. And I started thanking him because the word tells us he's given us a commandment and everything give thanks, but this is his will. So down in me, that, that, that gratitude, was I in pain? Yes. Was I hurt? Yes. I was all those things. Was I grief stricken? Yes. But I knew that if I gave thanks, that that help I needed would come. When I started giving thanks, it started bringing, it started lining my life up and it wasn't as chaotic. Now the rejoicing part, the word says enter to the most high a course with thanksgiving, enter his gates with thanksgiving to his court with praise. praise. I could not walk into an assembly sad. Mm. I could not walk into assembly for me. Yeah. I could not walk in the assembly. Oh, my husband's gone. Because I would have taken the attention from Yahuwah, which is his on a Shabbat. That's his. So mm-hmm. I had to go in there and bless his name. No matter how bad I it, it had nothing to do with how I felt. I had to go in there and bless his name. Why? Because I'm commanded. Why? I've got to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. I've got to go in there with praise. Huh. And in that, it helped line my life up. It helped. It helped bring chaos into order, being grateful. Huh. I was able to get, my thoughts was able to line up to do things I had to take care of. 
because of gratitude. Gratitude is powerful when we're being grateful to Yahuwah for, for his judgments because he is a just judge. And along with that, being grateful in a pain, in a situation like that, declaring he's, I mean, being grateful, but declaring that he's a just judge. He's his right, his uh, verdicts are just. He's righteous. He don't make uh, mistakes. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that you said that rejoicing in, in, in terms of grief looks is uh looks like it's gratitude and it's acknowledgement. Gratitude mm -hmm. and acknowledgement of his um of his majesty, of his judgment, of his his will, right? And right. so you saying that is what um, rejoicing is in the midst of that grief. Right. Correct? Now, there's Correct. nothing wrong if you also run around and things like that, you know, it's, that's food too, but sometimes it's, 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 it's challenging. Was it challenging at times to, to do that or how what was it like for you? Yeah, it was. Uh, I had a couple of times where I was really overwhelmed with grief and this is what I did. I tipped out the assembly until I can get myself together. Mm. because I did not want to be a distraction. Everybody knew I, what I was going through. I didn't want to draw a, a attention to myself because it belongs to Yahuwah. Huh. So I left out of the assembly until I could get, until I could pray and most high help hold me back up because I'm not, I didn't do in this process of everything. I didn't try to walk in my own strength. I walked in the strength of the prayers of the righteous. I walked in the strength of the prayers of the Mishpaka. And so with that being said, I wasn't going to stand there and, and try to be a certain way that I wasn't, huh. you know, try to stand in my own strength. But at the same time, I didn't want to be that be a distraction. So I, I left out a couple of times for the most and asked the most how to please help me get it together. Because why? I'm before the king. I'm before the sovereign. And you go before him with thanksgiving and to his course of praise. That's how we we're commanded to do. So I'm thinking about. Uh, just based off of your definition of rejoicing and how what it looks like, I'm reminded of like Job and how remember for the first seven days, Job or I think it was the first week or so, Job did not say a word. He did not utter mm -hmm. a single word. And when he finally did speak, um, or maybe, was it? Be, I think it was before or after. But let me know. But he said, "Yahuwah giveth and Yahuwah taketh away. Blessed be the name of Yahuwah." Right? Yeah, that was at the beginning of his law. So at the mm -hmm. beginning, but then there was also a time when he just didn't speak for a period of time, right? Right. So is that an example of rejoicing? Because he, in that moment, he still expressed acknowledgement and he still also expressed gratitude, even in the midst of like losing everything in that moment. Right. Or seemed like everything at that moment. It's, it was still giving thanks because he didn't complain. He didn't do like his wife suggests, curse you who and die. You know what I'm saying? So he was showing gratitude through all that time. It's it's a gratitude is a powerful weapon. God. Rejoicing is a powerful weapon. Every time Judah went to battle, every time went to battle, I'm sorry, every time Israel went to battle, Judah always went first. They would say, Who's gonna go first? Judah, why? Praise gotta go first. Praise Even in battles. Yeah. And then and when you're dealing with traumas and when you're dealing with griefs and all that, that's a battle. So to help get you in sync with the most high. It's praise, being grateful. And that's not saying you're going to always be laughing with joy, but just having that, I'm settled with, I'm going to be grateful. I'm hurt, but I'm going to be grateful. Huh. Now, you know, this is my, my favorite part I want you to talk about, but you said there's times where we don't have the words to say. And sometimes all we can do is let out a cry 
from the depths right. of our, our bellies, but that's where our, our ruach. And so, you, do you mind kind of breaking down on what the Most High showed you in regards to that that cry that we can let out, that um, and how it assists us and help us in our grief? Okay, I love this because it was so powerful when when he showed it to me. So that was two type of cries that he showed I had done. And in the Hebrew, one is called Shava. It's from the Strongs 7773. And it's a cry that, uh, and I'm gonna give a reference scripture. We can go to uh, uh, Psalms 18, four through nine and Psalms 34, six through eight. Uh, it talks about how when the cry went out, it went into his ears. It went into both of Yahuwah's ears and he heard. And when the, when the cry went to his ears, he came and responded. He did it, he, he responded himself. And there are times when we cry out, Yahuwah is gonna come see about us. He's gonna send what we need. And then it was another cry that I had that was called um, Sock. And it's a cry that calls for assembly. Or it's a cry that cries out and calls for the brotherhood to come and help you out. Uh, and this, an example of that is in a, is in Second Kings six when um, Elijah, uh, they was chopping down the tree, uh, and uh, the axe ha handle went into the went into the water, and when he cried, said he cried. Well, this cry was a was to assemble the brotherhood for help, and that's when Elijah came and called the ha uh, axe head up, uh, and he received help. So that's two different type. Those are two different type of cries, and I saw the Most High using my life on both of them. Those two. So do you do you mind sharing? So and then you said Shabbat is S H A V A H. Right? Uh huh. Shabbat. And and then the Zaak is T S A A Q. Right. Con. Okay. So you mentioned that the Most High showed up. You offered these various cries, and the Most High showed up in different ways. So can you, do you mind kind of first talking about the Mishpaka's role and, you know, when you let, offer the Sa'ak, like how did they show up and help you during time of grief? Okay. Um, I'll start with Mishpaka. That okay. cry that cry started with, with Mushal huh. and Mushala. That cry started with the assembly just being there. Uh, it came with being supported by their prayers. I, I I'll, I'll say it over and over again. It was the prayers of the Godashim. It was I did not walk in my strength. This is when that cry called the assembly together. Come. And they helped support me in walking through that grief that I was going through, that, that painful grief that was there. And if it had not been, <clears throat> excuse me, for that cry to call the assembly, and then they responded. They, they, they came to my rescue. Uh, that helped me out. And then the other cry, Shava, with uh, really, I know you mentioned you mentioned you said you are on critical life support spiritually yeah. and naturally. Yeah. And you said that in that experience of, of coming together with the Mushal, Mushala, with the Mishpaka helping out however they could, that, that helped to, to revive you, that helped you to. It gave you the the strength that you didn't even know that you needed. It, it really helped to helped in that uh, initial. It it did, and it's one thing I want to. I would love to suggest to anyone who's going through grief. Don't try to walk in your own strength. You don't have it. 
you'll end up more broken than what you were had you let someone be that support that 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 in prayer you know you know how we we, we want to put on a good face in front of everybody i'm not saying we have to walk around poor me pity party but at the same time you ain't got to keep an excellent face in front of everybody huh. you know people are gonna but when sometimes when they ask me how you doing i said if it wasn't for the prayers of the righteous i i, I wouldn't be here today and that was my answer because why? It was the prayers of the righteous. That's why I was there. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Now, Shabbat, um, you, you talked about um, that one-on-one -on -one time with the Most High and how and the things he showed you during that time. So do you mind kind of sharing about that as well? Well, yes. Um, he. Uh, that's when he put me alone. Come you on. know, he. Uh, I, I got my own place to stay in. To live in and uh when he put me along with him all i could do is cry i cried for probably the first month you know just crying and asking him for help you know just just he it is he had me isolated and it was just me and him and during that time like i said all i could do is cry out but in that crying he came and that's when i mentioned earlier that's when he came and was letting me know this grief you don't have to carry it. Mm. That's when he can't, you don't have and when, it's like it was such a small, still voice. But he says, you don't have to carry that. I've already done that for you. Let it go. Let me have it. And then it was kind of it was kind of comical the way I the way I heard this. It's like you holding on to stolen merchandise. Wow. <laughs> because he paid for it. Huh. He paid for it. So why huh. are you holding on to something that's not yours? Huh. That's like that's like. That's like buying a car at a dealership and they don't want to give you your car after you didn't pay for it. He says, it's not yours. Give it to me. I, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And that's that was him coming to my rescue in that time and, and giving me what I needed, the words I needed to hear in order to start. Once I heard that, it's like something in me started clicking. And then the healing, the, the healing and started take, coming forth. And he was showing me how to denounce uh, grief and how to uh, speak against that grief and how to speak against uh, the ruach of uh, of uh, it's like a ruach that comes and tells you that you're not being loyal. <clears throat> excuse me, that you're not being loyal to the person that passed because you want to get you want to be whole, you want to be healed, and it's a guilt complex that come with that. But it's no reason for us to feel guilty about wanting to move on in our life because that's what we're instructed to do is to move on with our life. But it is a ruach that'll come and try to make you feel bad because you want to move on in life. Come, come. I saw. I know you. You mentioned a few things. You mentioned that when you first um, moved into your um, where you currently live now, that you asked Mosai who was going to help me, and he said, "No one. He no said, one. I'm going to do it. I'm going to work with you, right?" And so right. you said the one thing that Mosai showed you was he. He exposed the subtleties of grief. Right. You want to kind of talk about that a little bit? Some of the subtleties of grief that you noticed? Some of the subtleties of grief, what he mentioned to me was uh, the subtleties of grief come in a form of uh, overeating, gluttony, mm -hmm. which I didn't have a gluttony problem, but he was just showing that to me, how we try to satisfy that grief through through eating or even through drinking 
-hmm. You know, these are how this is how we try to to deal with that thing. That's the subtleness. Um, I was trying to think. It was a, it was another one too. I wanted to make sure I brought out idols. Uh, uh, yeah, a who comes out of that because uh -huh. well, that, that was this now. This is a big one here. For me, I had a lot of pictures, and the Most High told me to put every picture away but one. I could only keep one picture, put all the pictures up, because all the pictures did was exacerbate grief. Because I'm trying to feel that desire to see my husband through pictures, and he was not there. So I had to put away all the pictures. Uh, there were some things I had to get rid of, some things I had to put away. And uh, and I did that because, uh, like, like for instance, uh, I had pictures where he's looking straight forward. And when uh, I look at it, it's like he's looking at me. All those type of pictures I had to put up. Mm. I couldn't put on anything that he was looking straight forward like he was looking at me. And one of the reasons why is because I love looking at his eyes. So every time I see his eyes, it's like I start looking. And it was like most of the time I said, uh-uh, you need to put that up. Wow. Because that's going to hold you. That's going to keep you attached to that grief. And so I had to do that. And then he was showing me, um, you know, during ancient times, our families didn't have photos. They didn't have uh they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have all these other different things to keep people alive. Well, you we don't have, Yahushua said, don't have no, no images of him. Don't right. have no, yeah. So um. when, and when, uh, when uh, Sarah died, Abraham, he, he said, let me, I'm gonna bury him, put her out of my sight. He didn't mm -hmm. see her no more. We have the ability to constantly see our loved one, even though they're in the ground. Through videos, through pictures, through social media. All of that. And he was I, like, I've seen, I've seen how people had their social media page and they keep it going years right. after they're gone. Right. And that was something that he let me know. Put away the pictures and don't be, uh, and don't visit. Because uh, I did some things. I would put comments about him in, in uh, Facebook. It was like, I want you to stop. I want you to stop. You got to stop. Because that's going to prolong grief. Uh, and, and like I said, the Most High didn't give me anything to cope with grief. He gave me everything to be healed from grief. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you mentioned the the ring. You mentioned different symbols, like the ring, the wallet. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh. Well, I have my heirloom ring. That's an heirloom ring. But my other rings are, are put off. They, they're put away. And uh, that was a big thing for me to do. But it's done. Yahuwah gave me the strength, and, and I don't regret it. I'm, I'm happy to be where I am. And um, now this is, a, this is the thing I was doing. I was carrying all of my husband's ID. Uh, he was a veteran. I had his driver's license. I had his, his uh, VA card. I had everything. And I had his wallet. And I had a, well, I was going to keep a copy of his death certificate for at least one year because I didn't know where I would need it when I went somewhere. So I needed it. But everything else, I still had his wallet. I was still putting money in his wallet. And uh, mm -hmm. my truck got broken in and the purse was stolen. <laughs> Wow. And and uh, I was thinking when I saw my truck was broken into, I was thinking, well, the only thing in there I can't replace is his identity. And it came mm -hmm. to me, oh, okay, Yahuwah. And I heard very clearly, I knew you weren't going to give it up readily, so I had it taken. <laughs> he lost somebody to break in my truck and take the purse to make sure I didn't have the ID, make sure wow. I didn't have none of that. <laughs> Wow. So yeah. and 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 um the subtleties because I don't know in your mind you wasn't thinking worshiping your mm -hmm. your none of that.
but it's just the subtle things that we just do subconsciously that we're not even aware of to, to hold on to that individual, right? And I right. mentioned this before, and you mentioned this too, but being willful is another subtlety of, of, of grief, right? And yeah. Willful, right? Yeah. <laughs> willful, um, it's like we, we accepted who was will, but it wasn't by choice. It's kind of like we had no choice. So it's like, yeah, it's forced on you. But somehow we try to maintain certain symbols. We try to maintain the same routine. We try to do certain things to maintain or preserve the life that we once lived that no longer exists. Right? I did that. I, uh, for a brief moment, I did that. I uh, still had his flag because, like, he had a, a military type funeral. So he, I still had his flag. I had, most high told me in the middle of the night, get rid of that flag. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I repented. Please forgive me all because I know that, you know, we we went through we went through deliverance from all that. But I but I had the flag, so I got I took care. I got rid of it. But then also um, going to the funeral, going to the gravesite. I went to the gravesite about five times. Uh, the first two times I was led to because uh, I went. I had to make sure his headstone was right because he when he when he passed he knew he was. He knew he was Hebrew. He knew he was the people. He had, he was returning to the covenant. He was doing all that, and I didn't want them to put a cross on his headstone. Mm. I had asked for a menorah, and so uh, I felt in my ruach that they hadn't done it. So when I went back to check, they had a cross on his headstone. Wow! And I asked them to take the cross off and have have it redone and have a menorah placed on his headstone, and they did. So that was the first two visits: one to see what was going on, and then the second one to make sure it was corrected. And then about three more times after that, I went to, I went to his gravesite. I put flowers there and I just stood there. And I'm thinking, why am I here? Mm. Why am I here? I know he's not here, but why am I here? And after the third trip, the most high let me know you are attached to his body. Wow. You took care of his body for over 40 years. You've got to let go of the attachment. Because in my mind, unconsciously, I'm still taking care of his body. I'm still taking care of him because I took care of him. So now, even though he's gone, I've done everything I can to make sure uh, he was he was he was put away nice, put away right, everything. But now that all that's done, I'm still going back, standing over his grave, and in, in, in waiting to do something for him. But it's it's nothing else to be done. I it was completed, and so th that was the last visit when I realized that I have to let the body his body go. I have to let it go. Because that's the part, that's when the healing can truly begin. Right. That's when the right. healing can truly begin. I, I know I, I work in grief and I, I've seen the extent, you know, grief really is, it wants to rule your vessel. It wants to take over completely. And the grief will have you showing up to the, the site, you know, two to three times a day, you know, not just in a week, but just two to three mm -hmm. times a day and keep you there, you know, um, constantly. So um, I love how you talked about how the Most High, it was things that he told you to give away. There's things he told you to um, to let go of. Give me one second, I'm sorry. Wait, there's things he told you to give away. There are things that he told you to um, to put away. And there's mm -hmm. also things that he allowed you to keep. And you don't even know, you don't know. Maybe most of the time I to tell you that, hey, things you put away, throw away or give away, right? But you just know where you are currently in your healing. Right, you know where right. you are currently. Right. And so everything that we're we're saying, um, if you have any questions, please put it in the comment section and let us know. Ask those questions, but also keep in mind too, and I, I love that Gabriel is so.
humble that she wants it to be known that this is her experience of grief healing. This is what worked for her. And she wants to share it with the nation and share with whoever listens, right? Whoever is dealing with grief so that it can help you to have a foundation to of your healing, right? Right. Um, yeah. So last thing I want to mention was you um you said that the most high again he exposed the subtleties of grief. Um he it was one on one time that he had with you, right? Mm-hmm. And then he also um, opened up the scripts to give you a deeper meaning of um, the Hebraic ways to handle loss. And one of the books that you mentioned was the book of Sirach and how it talked about grief and how we're supposed to do it within the culture, which I was yes. like shocked by. I was like, <laughs> I don't miss that, right? <laughs> I missed it. But do you mind sharing a few of the scripts that the, that the word tells us to do in regards to grief? And also, too, if you don't mind sharing Ezekiel, too, um, his experience as well, you can you feel free to do that as well. Okay, uh, so I'll start with Ezekiel. Uh, around the time I, my ish passed, I'm thinking I'm thinking it was just before or, or right after. I think it was just before. It's kind of foggy, but he gave me uh, Ezekiel 24, uh, starting with the 15 verse to 20, and this way it's t- telling Ezekiel that who his eyes delight to see that she was going to die. His wife was going to die and that uh, he could not mourn. He couldn't mourn her loss. And so he went and he talked to the people. And then the next, the next day he talked to people and then he went back that night and she had, she had died from a stroke, but it says she'll die from a stroke. So he told her, you who told her, I'm going to take her. And this is how I'm going to take her. So he knew. And that was very similar to me. I knew my, the most high was going to take my husband. Huh. I didn't know how, but I knew he was going to take him. Huh. And um, and uh, when he told him, he says, this is who you delight looking at. You delight looking at him. But then I don't want you to grieve. I want you to go and put on a, a diadem. And I want you to walk around with it on. And we know that that has to do with rejoicing and celebration. So he couldn't even he couldn't even uh, grieve his wife's passing. God. He had to, and this is this is Ezekiel, and I'm, I'm not I'm not telling anyone to be Ezekiel, <laughs> but this is this is how I saw myself in a sense, because I love to look at my husband. The Most High took him; he's gone. And, but then he told, but then the Most High told me, "You don't have long to grieve." He was very clear: "You do not have a long time to grieve." And that's where I'm. I, I'm where I am now. And then uh, Sirach, Sirach tells. I can paraphrase a few of them. One was Sirach is telling in you know, Sirach is telling you to when a person pass, you you go and have a, a a a good funeral. You cry and weep and mourn, and then after that, get up and go on with life. You got two days. And why is it? <laughs> why didn't tell you to cry and weep and mourn? Why? You say so people wouldn't people won't think that you had something against the person that passed. So people won't criticize you. So you had to go and give them a good funeral, give them a good cry, and then go on. So people didn't speak against you on that. <laughs> go on. So yeah, feel free if you um if you want um if you send me some of the Sarah scripture, I'll definitely I'll add it to the description and they can look at them. But it's just it's but it's it's, it's the Hebraic way. You know, there's things the Most High is telling us to do in regards to grief. To grief. And you mentioned how um, we were um, taught to be like 
Babylon does, right? But the Babylon form of grief, is, it sets us up for that prolonged, never-ending cycle, right? Of that Gilgal grief, right? Right. Well, well, Babylon, they celebrate, they celebrate death. Come. That, that's what they do. A person passed, they go get balloons every year. It's a birthday. They go out there and put balloons up on in 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 the in the uh, in, uh, wherever they're gonna do it at to celebrate the death. I mean the death of whatever that person, and uh, then they cry all over again as if it just happened. Yeah. And they constantly relive in the pain of that thing. The Most High never called us to do that, yeah. never. But 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 a Babylon, that's what they do. They celebrate death, and uh, they keep they perpetuate. It. They keep it going. They have the Day of the Dead. You know, they have all different types of things uh, to to celebrate. They have the shirts. When you're wearing the shirts five years later about your your loved one that passed and you still got the you still wearing the shirt. Why are you doing that? Why? But because you still walking the grief. Social media still going. The got the face on your arm. You know all those different. Uh -huh. Yeah. When it got a tattoo, got rest in peace tattooed on your body, things like uh -huh. that. You know, and uh, uh, that's 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 how that's how serious it is here, and that's how much we've taken on. We started carrying out the same way, and we was never meant, but we don't. We don't have a culture. And that's one thing I, I, I failed to mention was that the Most High told me my healing would come through knowing my culture, knowing the word, understanding what the Bible says about it. The different, the different people that grieved. Uh, we have uh, Job lost his family. We have Ezekiel. We have Abraham. We have, we have uh, uh, Joseph didn't die. But, but Israel went through a form of grief because he thought his son was gone. And he grieved 20 years. Yeah. At, at the thought of losing Joseph, he grieved 20 years. And word was saying he was going to go in his grave grieving. This is serious. He was, he was resolved that he's going to go to his grave and grieve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So understanding the different, type, the different ways our people celebrated, you know, uh, well, not celebrate, but people grieved. And I love the way Abraham did it because he said, I want to get her ready. I'm just paraphrasing and get her, put her out of my sight. And he put her away and he went on with life. Come. And that's how we should do. Come. We should take them, do what we're supposed to do, like the book of Sirach say, give them a good burial, cry hard, and then go on with life. Come. And a lot, I think a lot of times, you know, in addition to bitterness being connected to grief, uh, regret is connected to grief, you know. Um, yeah, a lot of it would be more present, more available, and it's like, and so we give we give them so much love and affection in their passing than we ever could have gave when they were alive, and it's like let's break that that cycle and just love on them now with everything that we have. So in the event that they are no longer present, that we can be resolved. Like I know that I gave my everything, and I, the thing I love about you and your your um your um husband. That pastor, you said you used to say, I you knew he loved you, but you knew you loved him, and you knew that you gave him everything and was, you know, try to be as supportive and loving as you could be. You gave him all that, and you were it helped with the process as well because you knew that you loved him with everything you had. That that's true. How you I, I, I'm gonna speak directly with the spouse issue. Okay. How you handle your spouse when it was a, when they're alive. It's, it's going to show in grief. Wow. It's going to show in grief. If, if you didn't really love them like you, like a wife is supposed to, or a spouse is supposed to, if you didn't really do like you were supposed to, I know, we, I know we're in Babylon, but mm -hmm. 
But still, there are some things I, I didn't know the covenant, but what the most high put in me, what he put in me now, not with Babylon, what he put in me to do for my spouse, I did it. So when my spouse died, I was just up because I was separated from my, uh, the one in my life I loved. But to go back and say, well, you know how people don't know what they had until it's gone? God. Like the old people used to say, well, you're not that old. But the, the old people in my time used to say, you don't miss your water till your well runs dry. Huh. You don't know what you had until it's gone. And that's a sad place to be for your family member to leave. And you now you realize the value of what you had after they were gone. That's bad. Because huh. why? You didn't give them the reverence or the respect that they were supposed to have when they were alive. Huh. And now you're walking around with what if, what if or I should have. I should have. I wish I could have. Like, right. Don't let their Even if it's some flowers be when they're yeah, not. Yeah, let them smell their flowers. Let them smell them. Even if it's your mother, whoever huh. it is, huh. you, you you can you can rest assured the level of grief will be determined on how they what their kind of what type of relationship that they have with that person. That's powerful. That's powerful. Um, the reproach of widowhood. You mentioned that. Um, one of the reasons why the Most High gave you the "Don't Call You Mara," um, um, just the song and the, the testimony, is because He has removed the reproach of widowhood from you. Um, right. You might kind of—I know we got like about fifteen minutes left, but do you remind? Do you mind kind of explaining briefly the reproach of widowhood? Um, I, I wrote it down, so I don't—I I think I wrote it down, so I don't forget. <laughs> I got you. Uh, the reproach—the reproach of widowhood—it it has to do with being shamed. It has to do with um, I'm, trying, I'm sorry, just one moment. No, it, has to, it has to do with being shamed. It has to do with I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna put it in a a term like this. It's, it still means the same. When people look at you, it is poor you. Mm. When you are known as from being a, instead of knowing my name, you know me as a widow. Come. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna I'm bring it. I'm gonna bring it home like that, to to really show what it looks like. It's like, well, you know, her husband died, or you know, his, his wife died, and that's how you identify the person instead of identifying identifying them by their name. Kind. Huh. Sometimes you relegated to a certain area, like, oh, you're just supposed to be here for this long. You're supposed to look like this. You're supposed to sound like this. Right. Look like this. And uh, and that's that's the whole thing. We have an idea. If, if let's 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 say for instance, I'm crying in the assembly, and someone could think that I'm crying because he's gone, and I'm crying because I'm praying. Mm. I'm I'm giving I'm giving gratitude. I'm huh. thanking him for just keeping me. But huh. then it could be because people know my situation, they they can assume that that's uh, I'm crying because he's gone, not knowing that. When you enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his course of praise, that's what it has to be, thanksgiving and praise. Huh. But to someone that doesn't know, it looks like, oh, she's a grieving widow. Huh. And she's crying because that's how we are used to seeing the widow. That's how we're used to seeing people. So that's why I said I want to bring it this way so we can get a, a clearer picture of, uh, of what, we, what we look, when we're looking at it, this is what we see. Huh. And we always remember that, that's, that she's the widow. Huh. You said that the, the Hebrew word for um, the reproach is kapa. Yeah, kapa. Strong's H2781. Yeah. 
and it's from uh, Strong's uh, H2788. And it means, like you said, this disgrace, rebuke, shame. Exposed yeah. by stripping, finding fault or complaining, defamed and blasphemed. Woo! When you look, it's like, it's like, so you, when you look at just that definition and breakdown of, of grief, it shows that it's not just, this is, the Hassan knows that this is one of your most vulnerable places that you're in. And he's coming full force with the attacks, with the defaming, with the blaspheming, with the complaining about you, lying on you. And so we have to be armed to, to fight at our most vulnerable time. Uh, this is this is what Yahushua went through on the stake. You know, um, as he went on the stake, he was, you know, his beard was plucked. He was humiliated. He was, you know, people threw things at him. They talked about him. They, this is all the part of the the grief, right? Yeah. It, and so, I, I, um, can you relate to that? Did you feel like you went through kapa, kapa for a moment before oh, you moved oh, the approach of it? Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. You know, it's one, it's one, it's something else. Uh, I experienced as being a widow is I, I felt I was in a place of humility where I had been humbled. Uh -huh. That I was not in a place where I was. I was in a different place, and it was in a, it was in a low place. And it's not because anyone had done it. It's my situation. I don't have the ish now. So I went from being an exalted place, having an ish, to a, a humble place of not having one. Mm. And that's, uh, that's a real experience. Now, someone else might not experience that, but, but I did. And I, I, the most I explained to me, you know, helped me out to understand that it, it does come with that. It does. Because you used to walk it in the... I used to walk around with a husband and they see us together and everything. And all of a sudden I'm walking by myself. That's humiliating. <laughs> mm. We don't want, we don't look at it like that, God. but it's, it's a certain amount of humiliation that comes with that. You, you mentioned the, the vision that you had of a, a, a tree, this massive tree that was, you said, you said prune initially, but you was like, nah, not just prune. It was cut up. <laughs> you, you want to talk about that, the vision that you had of, of the, the, this tree? Yeah, well, I had I, I had two visions of this tree. It was a it was a, a big tree, you know, a tall tree and everything, a, a full tree, but it had been pruned, and the pruning looked like looked like the person had done a bad job on it because <laughs> that huh. tree was cut up. Have you ever seen a a tree pruned back? And it's like the person they cut it back, and it's like, is that tree gonna recover from that pruning that yeah. it had? And then uh, when I was when I saw the vision two different times, I said, "Wow, wow! Can that tree survive? Mm. That pruning, man!" And the most I said, "That's you." <laughs> he said, "That's you." I've had to cut away, had to cut, cut away. away for over forty years. A lot of things in marriage from Babylon and all that. Uh, just, just, just living not in covenant. Uh, I had to, I've had to cut that away so I can reshape you and mold you into. A person now that can walk into eternal excellence, mm. and so Balfour, I, I had to have a serious pruning. But we know a Yahuwah, he can cut back anything if he he can call the dead to life and everything. So that tree was gonna recover, and that's me. That's me. That tree that's recovering now from the pruning. My husband was a pruning. Wow, he's not here with me. That's he a pruning. My husband was a pruning. Yeah, that's powerful. Was a pruning. It don't, it don't look like it, but he's not with me. Come. He's not here. 
So, so, but when the Most High showed me showed me as a tree, I, that tree was that tree was cut up. But it was, but when but when it starts growing back out, it starts growing back with all these branches and everything, and it, and because uh, you can totally reshape a tree by how you cut it. Mm. And so now I know that I'm being reshaped by the way he cut, by the way Hallelujah. he pruned me. Hallelujah. Told that for sharing. Um, I'm, I'm gonna summarize this real quick. I know, like I said, we only got a few minutes left, but you mentioned the, and if you want to elaborate, feel free. Um, we got about 10 minutes left. You mentioned the importance of a uh, support system. You mentioned the importance of uh, designating a support uh, spokesperson for the family. And you shared your own experience of uh, designating um, uh, your, uh, when your children to, to take on that role and how that truly helped in the immediate aftermath of the loss. You weren't the one that had to make the phone calls. You weren't the one that had to answer the questions or deal with the anybody disagreeing with things. You didn't have to deal with any of that. You were allowed to just focus on um, just healing, focus on preparations for your for your um, your ish, and allowing that that spokesperson to take on all of that. And then um, you also talked about the importance of. Um, establishing um, social media guidelines. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, the things that really lately has been start, it starts a conflict um, is um, people sometimes taking upon themselves to post before the information has um, circulated to all the, all the family, immediate family. And even your own experience, you was like, we, you had to make a mad dash to make sure that you got ahead of the post, right? And so, is there anything you want to share on that um, before we transition to the next um, question? Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, just briefly, I would strongly recommend a person having a spokesperson. Uh, what I did in my case was is, uh, I, it was it was so I was so overwhelmed. I called my son. He lived in California, and I told he knew his. I told him his father passed and everything, and I said, "Son, I need you to take care of your dad's family." And he just he just came in and just took over. Uh, he let them know that any communications would be through him. Any arrangements, whatever need to be done, he would be letting everyone know what to do. He would ask them, please not contact me because I, I was not able to to to, to uh, communicate at the time. And uh, and it worked out beautifully. I, I he had to re, free uh, free reign and make whatever decisions need to be made. Uh, and I didn't actually talk to any of my husband's family members until the day of the funeral. That's how much he had covered me. My husband, my son, just came in and just covered me over and that really gave me time to get myself together so I wasn't so badly broken walking in on the day of the funeral and I wasn't overwhelmed with phone calls and because my mother-in-law is still alive and uh I knew that was going to be very hard for her but I could not deal with that at the time but my children her grandchildren did a beautiful job at being there for her and walking her through that I I, I commend them for doing an absolute wonderful job so having that spokesperson is absolutely absolutely necessary, and I would suggest if you have a family member that passed, you have a spokesperson. Let your spokesperson be the first person to know about the passing, so they can put the information out. So no one is running ahead and putting anything on social media before people, before the right people need to know. So allow the spokesperson. Your your suggestion is let the spokesperson be the first person to to share the post, right? And then you can reshare it if, if, once they they um, upload it. That's right. Your right. Uh, and so I would even say too, uh, before in because we are acquainted with grief, we know that it's something that we're going to experience. You know, designating a spokesperson prior to establishing your social media rules, so that this is one 
one of those issues that we don't, you don't have to worry about or deal with to add on to the, you know, the, the, you know, the passing, right. Add on to the, mm -hmm. the loss, right. Mm -hmm. And then last, uh, uh, three minutes. Okay. Three minutes. But the last thing you mentioned, I was, you talked about, um, we talked about Hebraic burial process. And I thought it was interesting that you said that there were some things um, because you were new, you weren't new to covenant, but um, you guys were just coming into the, um, you know, into um, the Hebraic way fully. And there are some things that you did that were um, Hebraic in the burial process. And there's some things that you had to kind of, you know, alter a little bit because of family. Um, right. Do you think it's important for those who are in the walk um, to learn the Hebraic um, uh, customs of burial and also to, to inform family members who are not in covenant about that in preparation? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the intentions need to be made known that you're following Hebraic custom and this is what you want done. That's why it's so good to have these conversations before anything happens. That way then the people are under understanding this is what you want. And uh, that way, then it shouldn't be any conflict because it's going to come up. It's going to arise and having those conversations, uh, letting your family know that no, it's not going to be an open casket. Then No, you, you're not going to be able to touch me. All those different things like that, that it definitely needs to be, be uh, expressed and explained so they can understand that that's how it's going to be. Huh. Yeah. Now, lastly, this is my last question. Um, I know that when we go through deliverance, we have a prescription. Right, we have a prescription that we have to read every day to follow to help us in our healing. Um, do you mind kind of sharing some of your uh, a grief prescription? What did you have to take and to help you to stay, you know, motivated and encouraged and continue to push forward? Okay, so I have my scriptures. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. These are must-have scriptures because I call them my crutchers. They supported me. Uh, Ephesians 5 and 20, Romans 8 and 28. And then the scriptures on, on declaring that Yahuwah is just in his decisions, Psalms 119, 137. Psalms 119, verse 137. Deuteronomy, uh, I think it's 32 and 4, and Psalms 9 and 4. You can also use Job 8 and 3. And these are my scriptures, justifying that he's just and righteous in the decision he's made. But I'm giving you thanks. Oh, and one more thing, too, is when we give you who a thanks, it says in Ephesians 5 and 20 and everything. Give thanks. But this is the will of you who concerning you and everything. Give thanks in Yahusha. So when I say thank you, I have to say thank you, Yahusha. Thank you, Yahuwah, in the name of Yahusha. Oh, in Yahusha's yeah. name, I thank you. In Yahusha's name, I praise you. Oh yeah. yeah, powerful. I, I hope that you all were blessed by this discussion. I'm definitely blessed by it and encouraged by this as well. Total everybody again for you, um, uh, Kabir, um, Bula, for sharing your um, your experiences and giving providing some wisdom. Also, too, um, please, if any of this, uh, if you're noticing any grief or prolonged grief. Talk to your leadership. We have yes. amazing Alex. Yes. We have our awesome powerful Malkas, our, our Hagabir, our Zakins, our Mushalim. All. all of them, right? And the most high has equipped each and every one of them with the wisdom and the knowledge to guide us. 
I'm reminded of a Solomon, how Solomon said, Most high, I'm over your people. Give me wisdom to lead them. And every matter that was brought up, even if Solomon did not experience it directly, he had the wisdom from Yahuwah, the ancient of days, on how to, to navigate and how to address it. So don't let this be your only time that you, the only um, source of grief healing, but go to our Melikim, go to our leadership as well. Right, exactly. Um, you, you agree with that? Absolutely. I know you do. The Most High has given us the best. We you have the best. We're so, I'm so honored. <laughs> we, yeah, we have the best. Our, our Maleks, our Mushals, our Mods, everyone, Hagabira. Malka Kael, Malka Yada, we have the best. There, there, there is no one greater. You know, we, 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 you know, we're in a kingdom of powerful people. We, we, we are, hey, listen, we royal priesthood. You know what I mean? Yeah. We got some royalty in the house, right? So, yeah. thank you for sharing your journey with us and providing insight into the the um, intersectionalities of just grief and the ruach. You know, our, you know, um, covenant culture. And your story is truly inspiring, and we hope it brings comfort and encouragement to our listeners who are on their own paths of healing from grief. So with that being said, my name is Hasessa Rock. I'm your RB therapist, and we have our, like I said, Gabir Bula with us on today. If you have any further questions, feel free to um, send it, and I'll, I'll direct it towards her. Um, you never know. We might have a, we might do a part two. We get enough questions. I don't know, right? Well, that is it. Tell her about your time, and we will see you again soon. Shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom. <laughs>